The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. And so, our detectives return to the winter residence again, only to find more questions than answers. It brings Jay and the chief back, way back, to when Jay was a flatfoot and the chief was a detective, a memory neither wanted to relive. But before we get to them and this Tentacle Tuesday, let me please remind you that this podcast does contain images of graphic violence, child endangerment, and of course, foul language. Now, grab the popcorn and definitely light a warm fire, cause maybe it's cold outside. As we can hear an echo, an echo of the distant past, and chapter 9, an echo of a nightmare. The road to the winter residence, although plowed, was in poor shape, making the ride extra difficult. Upon arriving, they found two young officers digging a path to the house. From the looks of it, they had only begun to clear a path, and there was at least a football field of snow between here and the front door. Stevens looked over to the two men and thought it was odd that both men were wearing masks as they continued the dig. That is, until he and Jay stepped out of the vehicle. Oh, jeez, Jay said as he pulled a handkerchief from his coat pocket and covered his mouth. Lovely, Warren agreed as an invisible fog of stench met his nostrils. He called out to one of the officers. Did you guys call that in? Stevens asked. One officer paused his shoveling and pulled down his mask his nose instantly wrinkling as the stench met his face. Yes, sir. They dispatched a CSI team about 30 minutes ago. Copy. Thanks. He looked at his watch. They must have missed the call while finishing up with Operation Shorty. Jay sat down in the hood of the car and eyed the house. He was stunned at how quickly the place had fallen into ruin. He was about to turn and ask Warren a question when... Warren excused himself and pushed his way between the officers. Hey, where are you going? Jay called out. I'm going in, Warren replied. He lifted his foot and stepped into the three feet of snow. Jay sighed. You can't wait. Your shoes and pants are going to get soaked. Warren shook his head. No, I want plenty of daylight between us and nightfall. Shaking his head, he stood back up. I hate it when you're right, Jay replied. Yeah, me too, Warren laughed, and they trotted off to the surprise of the two young officers who kept digging away. As they neared the porch, the stench grew almost overwhelming. Like Ben, they looked up at the four columns in dismay. Want one of my hankies? Jay asked. At this point, I think it's too late. I don't think I'll regain my sense of smell for at least a week, Warren replied. Jay coughed and shook his head. Well, if it's not Ben, something definitely died here. Warren pointed out the shoe print on the edge of the open doorway. While not conclusive... Oh boy, Jay said. This isn't going to be good, is it? Warren pulled out his flashlight and illuminated the entranceway and slowly made his way up the icy steps. Jay followed close behind. Pushing the door fully open, a wall of stench met them, making both men gag as they stepped inside. To the left, they could see the archway and the dark tiles leading towards the kitchen. In front of them was a circular stairway. On the floor, in front of the wall of books, were several novels, 
as if someone had been tearing through them, looking for something. As they guided the flashlights, they could see what looked to be dried blood smeared on the floor as if someone had been dragged from room to room. It reminded them both of the simulus smear on the night that they had retrieved what was left of Devon. But this was much fresher. Damn, again? Jay said, trying to wrap his mind around the idea that another body had been dragged bleeding from room to room. Warren was more focused, eyeing every detail. He spotted the black dress shoe Ben had tossed aside. I thought CSI had done a thorough cleanup. He pulled out some gloves and a bag and put the shoe in it. Labeling it, he placed it near the pile of books. They followed the trail into the living room. A half-burnt lounge chair hung out of the fireplace. In front of that, lying on the floor, were the remnants of Ben's clothes. The chief's coat lying on its own, just beyond the fireplace. In it was a large hole, and the back was covered in blood. Damn! Yeah. Any sign of a body? Nothing. Oh, jeez. What? It was Ben's head. Or at least part of it. It was only his upper jawbone and... The lower half? Unknown. And what sat there, staring at the two men in the darkness, had nearly blackened from decay. Shit! Yeah, this is no ordinary homicide, Jay stated. No, definitely not, Warren replied. It reminded him of the reports he had read about his own parents. They had never found out what killed them, only that it seemed to take great delight in tearing them into pieces. Are you okay? Jay asked, knowing the same report and Warren's history. Yeah, he replied. Unlike when I was at the cottage, I don't feel overwhelmed. Do we keep looking? Jay asked. No, Warren replied. We let the cleanup team comb through the place. We should tell them to bring extra lighting because it's going to be a long night. As Jay moved, he kicked something hard and heavy on the floor. It was the iron poker. Either our CSI crew is blind or... Warren stared at it. The poker that had killed Grace and bludgeoned Devin was somehow back. Could one of our men have taken it from the evidence locker? He asked. Riggs wouldn't let a fly into that room without authorization. But I'll make sure we get a full review of who may have removed it. The CSI team arrived and started to comb through the place. Parts of Ben's body were found as far as the upstairs bedroom. The chief arrived about an hour after the CSI team. His face was grim with disbelief. Warren, Jay, he called over to them. Yes, sir. I want you to go over everything you found, he said, as he motioned to them to head outside and get out of the way. Jay went over everything they had found, from the footprints to the signs of the body being dragged. The chief's eyebrow raised when he mentioned a poker. Any chance it's a different one, he asked. Of course, Jay replied. But why? Gentlemen, if I had a nickel for every time we were asked why, I could retire. Chief! A CSI team member called out. The three men went over to see what had excited the man. In his tweezers, he held up an almost claw-like fingernail. What is that? Warren asked. Jay frowned and the chief nodded. They had seen something like this before. Okay, the chief said. I'm ordering extra patrols in any area near the woods. Pulling out his cell phone, he called the mayor. Mr. Mayor. Yeah, Chief, what's wrong? Did you ever find old Ben? Yeah, at least what's left of him, he replied. Shit, um... He began, 
but the chief cut him off. It's back, sir. The phone went silent. It, it, it can't be. He was frightened. Genuinely frightened. From everything I've seen here, and from everything that's gone on, I strongly suspect it is, the chief verified. Okay, chief, he replied. I trust your judgment. I'll get Dr. Giles on the phone and I'll meet with you, Jay. And are you bringing him, too? I think he deserves to know, the chief replied. Okay, is tomorrow morning good? It should be, the chief said. Warren listened to half the conversation with deep interest. What was back? Why a meeting? And who is it that should know what? Jay made it clear who the who was very quickly. Tell Karen you have a meeting tomorrow morning at town hall. No one else. Why? What's this all about, Jay? The chief nodded. Come on, maybe we should just have a drink at McCluskey's instead. That bad, huh? Warren replied. Yeah. Chief, are you meeting us? And should I get the back room? Jay asked. Yes and yes, the chief answered. He was signing for Ben's things. If he only hadn't had the pull patrols due to the storm, maybe Ben would be alive today. He got back on the phone and signaled the two men to go ahead. The path back to the car was now clear and several other vehicles sat, lights flashing, as people carried equipment up to the winter residence. What's this all about, Jay? We'll talk at McCluskey's. Because between that, he pointed back to the house, and what I need to tell you, I'm going to need a drink. McCluskey's was not your usual hole-in-the-wall dive bar. For some, it was a second home. The owner, Jacob, was infamous for remembering you, too. What you drank and hitting you with a drink before you could even plant your ass in a seat. They entered under the sign and through the brick entranceway that was cut next to a long window that looked onto the street. A long maple bar ran in an L-shape to your immediate left. Chairs lined the bar and booths ran along the right wall. Neon signs hummed and softly they could hear the jukebox playing in the back. No more than the two had entered, then two shot glasses hit the wood and slid towards them. The back room's open, officers, Jacob said, and he pointed to a green door in the rear next to the bathrooms. As a joke, it had a question mark on it to add to the mystery of what lay inside. They passed the jukebox as it flipped over a record and started the next song. It was Dire Straits, Sultans of Swing, fitting for the surroundings. A small poker table lay inside. An ashtray, six chairs, and of course, a pitcher of dogs playing poker that hung over a brown leather love seat directly next to the pitcher was a small sign that pointed to the couch. It read, Doghouse. Have a seat, Jay said. Makes you itchy for a good cigar on a deck, right? Warren plopped onto the love seat and downed his drink. Quaint, he remarked. Now you know where I sneak away to when Susie gets mad at me, Jay said with a half smile. Then maybe you shouldn't make fun of her cooking, Warren retorted. Jay laughed. What can I say? I love to live dangerously. A young lady with a tray came in. Do you two want something to eat? Both men shook their heads no. Neither were hungry. Not after what they had seen at the winter residence. Just a couple more shots, Sandy. Do you think that's a good idea, Jay? No, just necessary, he replied. Yeah, I guess seeing Ben like that. It's not just Ben, Jay replied. I've seen remains like that once before. Really? 
When? Fifteen years ago, another voice answered. The summer you turned up in a field of wildflowers miles from your parents' or your grandfather's home. It was the chief, Mayor Simmons, and Dr. Frank Giles. Jay stood up. Warren did as well. He was stunned. I thought we were meeting tomorrow, chief. Well, when I saw the look on your face and Jay suggested McCluskey's, I thought it'd be better we got the team together tonight. Jay nudged him. Tell Karen you're going to be out late and not to wait up. Frank Giles placed a notebook on the table. He had seen it before. It was the file on his family's murder. A tray of drinks was brought in and placed on the table. Each man picked up a drink and the chief made a toast. To old man Cullen, may he sleep in peace. The glasses clanked together and they sat back down. Hello, Warren, Frank said. You've grown quite a bit since the last time I saw you. Dr. Giles, Mr. Mayor, good to see you. I think. I see my family file. What gives? Frank opened the book and took out some photos. Photos Warren had never seen. Warren, what do you know? Really know about your grandfather? I know he was a retired exorcist or something. Something would be a little more accurate, he responded. We had strong evidence that he belonged to a cult, a demonic cult. From what I understand, your father and mother did their best to keep you from him and any of his strange associates. Do you remember your parents' funeral? Jay interjected. Mostly, he had to admit, even that was foggy. There were several suspicious people there. People we thought might be involved with your parents' murder. One was an older man named Terrence White. He now teaches at the seminary in East Hope. While we could never pin him or his people directly to the case, we definitely ran into several of them at the old cemetery and around your grandfather's cottage. They all had a habit of wearing brown cloaks and seemed to come and go at will. And odd enough, they all disappeared right after the night Jack died, only to resurface about the time your parents were killed. Why haven't you told me this before? Well, partly because we didn't have a reason to. Warren was now angry. And now? They pulled out a long, claw-like fingernail. Warren immediately recognized it. Shouldn't that be in the evidence locker? The chief laughed. The one you saw and this one are 15 years apart. We suspect that whatever killed your parents and chased you is back. And if it's back, Jay added, I'm willing to bet that so are some of those crazy cultists that hung out with your grandfather. This was unbelievable and vastly different than anything he had believed. But what if it was true? Oh no, detective. It seems your friends have the wrong idea about your grandfather. Oh my, my, my. And the people who surrounded him. I wonder how you'll resolve that. As we dig further in, and we travel to East Hope, and meet an old friend of ours. Chapter 10. Terence White. <laughs>